Welcome to this episode of the Medical Affairs Professional Society podcast series, Elevate. I'm Dr. Kirk Shepard, CMO and Head of Global Medical Affairs OBG at Azi Incorporated. I'm also a MAPS board member and host of the Opening Doors podcast that explore paths into medical affairs and other resources, guidances and inspiration for those people who are new to the profession. Joining us today is Dr. Renu Januja, Head of Scientific Evidence and Communications at Janssen Biotechnology and co-lead of the MAPS Medical Communication Focus Area Working Group. This episode will explore transitioning with a PhD into medical affairs, specifically around medical communications. Renu, it's great to have you with us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. So glad to be here. We're happy to have you. And if you could start perhaps by telling us about your PhD. Yes. So, you know, I, I would take a step back that I was um, reflecting on this, that growing up in high school, getting into medical college, medical school was the focus, right? And I didn't get in. I didn't get in medical school and there was no, uh, you know, backup plan. I huh. don't know why, as I, you know, think about it, because the acceptance rate in India was less than 2%, you know, in getting into medical school. So I should have had a backup plan, but there was no backup plan, right? So when I did get in, I said, okay, what do I do? So one of my professors suggested to look at biomedical sciences, right? So I got into undergrad and master's honors program in biochemistry. Once I was done with my master's, I said, okay, you know, I need to, I, this is not end of it. I need to go further. So I uh, enrolled into a, a graduate program in a medical uh, research organization, which was a big hospital. And, you know, I went in and looked at, you know, different options and got into uh, biochemistry and reproductive biology uh, PhD program, right? So I uh, took on, you know, found a really cool subject to study, um, you know, effect of calcium channel blockers on sperm functions, um, you know, and my uh, uh, principal investigator was head of ob gyne so I could get many clinical samples of, you know, men who were taking clinic calcium channel blockers and looking at from the research perspective, but also from the clinical perspective, which was a very interesting subject. But anyway, I uh, carried on with my PhD journey, uh, got married, uh, had a, I was seven months pregnant when I defended my thesis, had my baby, you know, my first daughter, and, you know, all along, uh, the ambition was to finish my PhD and then come to U.S. for postdoctoral fellowship. Yeah. Wow. You sounded very busy and challenged. How did you get to the United States? What so, was it like at first? Yeah. So, you know, I, as I was finishing my PhD and defending my thesis, I, two of my lab mates were already in the U.S., you know, doing their postdoctoral fellowship. You know, that days there were no phones. Mailing letters from India was very expensive, right? So I sent them my cover letter, my CV, and list of, you know, names where I wanted to apply. So believe it or not, they would like type in those names and apply on my behalf sitting in the U.S. 
So um, as I, I remember, November 1990, my daughter was born. And I think it was January 1991 when I started getting offers for postdoctoral fellowship. You know, the two of the final offers were one in Atlanta uh, with, with a, uh, in very, very good research lab. And the second one was Population Council uh, funded by Rockefeller Foundation in New York City. And believe it or not, I took the Rockefeller Foundation one because it paid for our airfare, you know, for myself, for my husband, and for our 10-month-old baby that time. Uh, this, this is now 1991, September, October, when we were coming. And, you know, that's how it happened. Uh, and, and uh, I mean, I, I tell this story to people that if I did not get Rockefeller Foundation Fellowship, which paid for airfare, I'm not sure I would have been in the U.S. Wow, wow what good fortune. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, there was no there was no money in the family to kind of go collect and say, okay, we're gonna buy three tickets here. Sure. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you really were on a researcher path with a lab, students, academic career. What got you interested in pharma? So uh, interesting story there, right? So I, as I said, I spent two years in population council, met a professor at a conference who invited me to join him at Princeton University. You know, I wrote a grant with him which got funded for three years, independent grant. I said, wow, I am on my path to get an academic position, you know, tenure track. And that was the dream to have my lab and my, you know, uh, research grant. I mean, that is why I came to US. But when I arrived in Princeton I re and my grant was running out, I realized how difficult it was to renew the grant. It was very, very hard. And then when I looked around, you know, most, I would say at that time, I mean, uh, later on Princeton changed a lot, but at that time, most of the tenure track professors were white, male, American. And I didn't fit in any of those categories. I said, okay, what do I do? I started applying, started, I applied in pharma, but R&D. I've applied in tenure track positions. I applied for in vitro fertilization because I was a reproductive biologist. I said, oh, maybe I can get a job there. Believe it or not, for more than a year, nothing, nothing came. You know, mm -hmm. then I started getting some, one or two things came for interview, but nothing materialized in there. Right. So my husband, you know, I was having this conversation with him about this podcast last week. And he reminded me that I was this close, going off the rails completely, because I was getting so frustrated after one year applying, not getting anywhere, that I actually went and applied for a manager job in Macy's. Oh, my gosh. In, wow. in the mall nearby, right? Because I did, in academia, I didn't even know there is something called medical affairs. Yes. Where my skills can be transformed, right? I, I can, they are transferable. I can take my skills there. Forget about medical communication. I didn't know that. Um, but, you know, fortunately, I saw a little ad in our uh, New Jersey local paper, Star Ledger, for a medical writer. Had no idea what medical writing was. I applied for that job, you know, and got an interview. And, uh, you know, 
talk to a couple of friends in other you know uh, companies i said what is medical writing what do you do mm-hmm. you know what is the job and then i'm looking at the job description and couldn't comprehend that somebody is going to pay me to write a publication yeah because in academia you do all this work in the evenings or right. on the weekends right yes but anyway um somebody suggested me to go and read uh about clinical trials and pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics in good book goodman and gilman which was 110 oh my yeah. no way i can buy this book right so it sat in Barnes and Noble for two days, read and took notes, went for interview, and long story short, got the job, which I didn't even know it existed. So long answer to your question, but the, I was not looking for medical affairs or medical communication. It just happened. Just happened. Well, that's a fascinating story. I mean, all the way from Macy's possible clerk to sitting in Barnes and Noble and reading Goodman and Gilman. And I know I've tried to read that before too, and it's not the most interesting reading. So I congratulate you. So right away, we see some some trends here that are important for our listeners to, to, to remember. Important, you were friends already in the industry who could maybe advise you in some ways, but then it was up to you to learn the skills and maybe go a little more into that your transition how did you learn those skills or were, were all those already natural for you as a phd yeah no it was not natural it was tough it was hard you know i came in industry and uh, i mean first of all even getting the job i remember you know i met with the hiring manager a couple of people second interview and then the third interview only with vp of medical uh the de- clinical development and medical affairs who said one question convince me you want this job mm. because he was not convinced that having independent grant in princeton university i was serious about a medical writer job in the industry he said you are just filling the gap and you're going to get something and go in there and then i kind of told him the story that i'm living under poverty line i have been applying for jobs getting you know academic roles it's not working you know and by that time i had 30 publications you know in peer reviewed journals so he was kind of convinced that i could write the publications right or i could do the medical writing because i had done it in academia but no coming it was hard you know they they i remember a meeting i am sitting there and they are saying pi pi and i'm like this doesn't make sense why are they talking about principal investigator mm-hmm. little i knew they were talking about package insert which i had <laughs> never heard about you know that what package insert is and i tell you the first publication i wrote i sent it to my and i was very proud that i was driving the publication i had written so many publications by myself published them in international journals even when i was in india which was a big deal you know publishing in international journals but when i wrote my first manuscript and i sent it to my boss to review it it came back red bleeding i could not believe it i started literally started crying sitting on my desk and then i realized that in academia we take a little protein little gene and we extrapolate it to the ninth degree that we're going to save all solve all the problems of the world with our little experiment but in clinical you can't do that you just have to say results you cannot extrapolate even to the next level right kind of thing 
so no it was tough it was not easy i had to learn a lot learn how industry works what clinical trials are who msls are and you know all those things um it was hard it was hard so renew any advice to someone who is looking at medical affairs there's a lot of specialties within medical affairs a lot of departments yours maybe came natural because you were already a writer in medical communications but any advice to early career professionals who want to find their place in the function yeah so you know um as i get emails or on linkedin invites right people want to talk to me or something i like to tell them what i say to them first learn what all exists in medical affairs right don't tell me or oh, you want a job in medical writing or you want a job as msl have you done your homework do you know what all exists in medical affairs you know what kind of roles exist in medical affairs because i know it is frustrating right it's very hard i i was there i have been there that you know when you are in academia you just want to get in industry doesn't matter what right but i tell people that if you take a job which is not aligned with your strength you're not going to be successful at that right so first of all whenever you talk to somebody a leader or somebody you want to get advice on ask them what are the different roles in medical affairs that i can consider with my phd uh, or my with my postdoctoral fellowship right and then ask more about each of those roles and then go and do some homework on those things and to understand what what you think is going to be the best you know place or best best role for you to go into so that you can play to your strengths in there right so discovering finding out doing some homework um that's what i would suggest to people uh, it sounds like good advice not restricting yourself too much to what you think medical affairs is explore a little bit now it sounds like you've done some work already with people throughout your career who want to get into medical affairs i know you mentioned linkedin any other ways you've been helping people earlier in their career to get into medical affairs so you know when in my first job i got to a leadership role you know where i was hiring more and more medical writers what i learned from my own experience was as you know kirk that in that in industry there is a separate group of writers who do regulatory writing right clinical study reports protocols or documents for submission to fda and then there is a separate group of writers who do publications right so my first learning was i did both of them you know i started with publications but then i went on to write regulatory documents which as you know are very template based art you know documents because they are we have to submit to fda and all so the first learning thing for me was i hired medical writers with great scientific acumen and analytical skills but my writers started with protocol clinical study reports abstract poster manuscript so they went end to end supporting a product or it you know and then i said to myself when i was hiring those medical writers i was not getting good medical writers i was not getting people who had that experience so uh, on one hand i am you know guiding people mentoring people on other hand i'm trying to hire medical writers and i can't get good writers right so i said why don't i marry these two things here you know so i started a fellowship program and it was not like my novel idea the company was already 
doing a fellowship program for PharmDs in medical information. So I kind of borrowed many ideas from that. And we started a uh, postdoctoral fellowship program in writing scientific communications. And that became the kind of, you know, my pipeline. And of course, it gave opportunities to recent PhDs to get into industry. Well, I'd like to hear more about that fellowship that you started. Uh, perhaps we'll have you back again and maybe bring one or two of them with you. I think it'd be really interesting to hear their points of view of what helped them to get into medical affairs and to find their place. So we may be inviting you back very soon. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Thank you. I, I always like the end uh, with what do you think are the two or three most important things a person, a PhD can do to get into medical affairs? Yeah, I think the first thing we talked about, Kirk, is explore, right? I mean, I didn't know medical writing. I was frustrated, you know, banging my head against the wall for R&D and, you know, academia. But first thing, if you know what all you can do with your PhD, then you can explore more areas, more you know, jobs, more places to go in medical affairs. So that's what I would say, first thing for PhDs, to keep medical affairs in mind, you know, talk to medical affairs leaders and know we, what roles within medical affairs you can do, one person can do with PhD and, and research experience, right? So knowing and exploring, I would say first thing. Second thing I would say is that whenever you're talking to a leader or a mentor uh, to you know, find out more about roles in medical affairs, don't just ask for the job, you know, because the conversation can end very soon. They say, you ask for a job and they say, sorry, I don't have a job and that's it. You know, if you ask for guidance or you ask for connecting you with other people, that may kind of open up, you know, uh, more routes and more areas and more networks, right? And third thing I say to all my mentees is do the homework. If I tell you to go and look for maps, you know, look for ISMAP or look for, you know, other organizations, then please go and do that homework so that you can then make more informed decisions as you go along, right? Rather than just me telling you what to do, because decision is yours when you are exploring it. Um, and, you know, professional organizations like Medical Affairs Professional Society or ISMAP, you know, International Society for Medical Publication Professionals can provide you really good information on what happens in medical affairs. So doing that homework. So explore. Um, don't ask for job. Ask for guidance and do the homework uh, through Medical Affairs Professional Society. Yeah. Well, thank you, Renu, for joining us today. Great advice. I know you're going to be helping a lot of people out there who are listening. So thank you. And we'll have you back again, I promise. Thank and you. listeners, you can find more Open Doors podcasts at medicalaffairs.org, where you can find additional resources, including e-learning modules, articles, webinars, networking events, and more, all of which can help you to create a successful career in medical affairs. And we hope you've enjoyed this episode of the MAPS podcast series, Elevate. Thank you.